Research for the game music at Queen's Project is supported by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the Dan School of Drama and Music. This podcast is recorded at the Sonic Arts Studio at Queen's University. Hello and welcome to Game Music 101. I'm Dr. Stephanie Lind and I'm here with my research assistants, Elizabeth Baxter, Brooke Spencer, Michelle Kasabowski, and Rena. And today we're going to be talking about games that have to do with mental health. Michelle, we're talking about this because you came to me with this idea. Do you want to talk a little bit about what inspired you for this topic? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think there's a worldwide trend currently in general to talk about mental health and going to video games. There's also a trend in this industry to invest more in mental health games from various companies. So, you know, I noticed that there were more articles talking about mental health being a theme within video games that are being designed now. And I found that really interesting, especially being in a university setting where, you know, we are surrounded by mental health awareness all the time. And I wanted to dig in a bit deeper to that subject. Let's talk about what games everyone looked at. Andrew, do you want to start us off? I played The Last of Us. To be honest, I uh, I hadn't played The Last of Us for a couple of years. I probably had not played it since the beginning of university, and I noticed a heck of a lot more about the music itself, as well as the gameplay and how they both tie together, way more than I did when I was four years younger than I am now. So I started by looking into research on it. I found a really, really neat site. They are a website that basically details like a psychological breakdown of each character in The Last of Us, which I thought was really, really neat. So a quick rundown of what The Last of Us is. The plotline basically follows Joel, who is this late 30s, early 40s guy, and it starts with him and his daughter living their normal life. And he loses his daughter because of an interaction with the military as they're trying to contain this outbreak. Um, so we're basically talking zombies. Yeah, um, so there's those, and then you have the actual bad people in the game, so like the, the villains, but all while you're trying to fight off this infection. So Joel goes through a bunch of loss in terms of loss of life. He loses his daughter, which was the last of his family that was close to him, and then he meets this girl, Ellie, who reminds him of his daughter. It's a personal internal struggle for Joel because he's had to get over losing his daughter, as well as trying to treat Ellie as a human being. I started looking at instrumentation. The soundtrack was done by one guy alone. His name's Gustavo Santolala. He is an Argentinian musician. He did the score for Brokeback Mountain. He did some of the score for Jane the Virgin, Hell on Wheels, and of course, The Last of Us. And he's really well known for using conventional instruments in non-conventional ways, as according to one of the articles that I found. So he takes an electric guitar and tunes it down a major third completely, which is not, apparently it's not a very normal thing to do. And he's very well known for using this instrument called a ronroco. And apparently he used like a violin bow on an electric guitar. So he's got very particular sounds associated with this, this yeah. game and his style. And I looked more at the, re the, the music that he's done yeah. by himself and all of his music. It's very, very like one track one style yeah. specific. Brooke, what was your game? Um, so I looked at this game called Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. I actually stumbled upon it because I get notifications from Facebook about Nintendo stuff all the time because like obviously I do research on Nintendo games and stuff and so they just pop up and they're like, look, look at this thing. So they re-released Hellblade came out originally in uh, 2017. Uh, the developer is Ninja Theory, so it's a smaller gaming developer. So they released it originally in 2017, and then this year they released it for the Switch. So I was curious about playing this in the first place, and I kind of knew a little bit about it because there was some controversy on the depiction of mental health in the game. And then we started talking about the idea of this podcast, 
So I was really interested and intrigued to play the game. So I decided to get it and this is what I've decided to look at. Um, so at the beginning of the game, they have a notice for this uh, game depicts symptoms and things of psychosis. So if you need any kind of resources, if you need to talk to somebody, here's a helpline and here's a website you can go to and it has all the information. And it also talks about how the game was also helped develop by actually like uh, psychiatrists and stuff and they helped, but also other people that had similar experiences also helped develop um, some of the characters profile in the game. So Senua does have psychosis or at least that's what they portray in the game. Uh, she is a Celtic warrior that recently has lost her tribe and her family. It's been burnt to the ground. And her lover, Dillian, he was sacrificed by the Vikings that pillaged her village. Basically, she goes on this quest to see the goddess Hela, who has his soul that they, the Vikings sacrificed. So basically, she goes back in revenge to save his soul. It's this long journey. They don't really give a lot of information other than that. It's pretty ambiguous. You kind of, in the game, hear different voices of this other um, Celtic warrior that was part of her village giving her advice and like different tidbits of history and stuff but nothing's uh nothing other than that what I found really interesting about this is during the entire game you hear voices and so it's like you're in Senua's head and they end up like helping you and like guiding you and then there's other voices that are telling you not to do something and they get louder in certain areas or like if you're trying to do a puzzle there's a little bit of combat to the game but not a lot the big music here is there's two types there's the combat music which is like the viking music and then there's like the puzzle or exploration music so combat music was actually written and they asked somebody to come in he's um from norway andy la plaga he does kind of some like metal music and norwegian singer and songwriter of course, Norway is like the home of the Vikings, so they asked him to speak as much Norwegian that he knew as possible for these uh, combat scenes and uh, fighting songs, I guess you would call. So they really wanted him to be part of the creative process. A lot of it is like really deep growling voices, hand drums, big drums, intense feeling. And I think that like it's also the drums are representing her like heartbeat as well. And this music's quite loud, so I think that it playing the game and having the voices and everything else it felt like I was like having like an anxiety attack because basically like you're in Senua's head I think this music represents not only like the battle that she's actually doing but also the battle within herself so it's a lot of kind of self-reflection and also like don't panic don't die oh yeah and in the game if you die a certain amount of times you restart the entire thing oh that's painful yeah <laughs> Um, and then the other music, so you have to do a couple like big combats against these bosses to get into Helheim, the, the castle or gate or whatever. So the people like in between you have to do these puzzles in these like forests or like in these like weird village things, I guess you would call them. So there's not actually a lot of music happening. There was another composer that did more of like the soundtracky kind of traditional music. I think it was David Garcia. And this was like a lot of strings, eerie, quiet, but Plega also helped with this and he did a lot of the abstract sound. So like pluck strings, uh, light drum hits and uh, tore apart a guitar and that was part of it. Like what Andrew was saying about it, using instruments and not what they're <laughs> traditionally meant for in the music. Um, and, there's, and the voices are a lot more faint also in these moments. 
but you could still hear them. They're all, there is also kind of like some subtle dynamics, but they are effective. Elizabeth, what game did you look at? Um, the game that I'm looking at is sort of like a little indie adventure, kind of puzzly looking game called Gris. Um, that's G-R-I-S, i.e. it's French for gray, um, which is kind of symbolic in the context of the, of the game itself. Basically, it follows like this girl who suffers a loss and we're not exactly sure necessarily what the loss is. The actual physical thing that's implied in the game is she loses her voice. At the very beginning of the game, she's like singing and there's this like vocal, there's no words to it and there's no words anywhere in the game either. There's no dialogue or anything. So the sounds that you hear are either the physical interaction of like her footsteps or the music in the game and the, like the soundtrack is a big feature just artistically, but basically she has this loss of her voice or whatever. And then the game is basically her journey through sorrow and like her journey through grief. I've seen a couple people talk about how the different like stages of the game that she gets through are kind of like the stages of grief and then finally at the end of the game she kind of recovers her voice and 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 gets through things. So it's definitely it's not a very long game like the entire walkthrough like I've seen on YouTube are less than three hours between two and three hours so it's not a very long game but it's it's as opposed to something with with choices and stuff like it's kind of more linear and you follow a, a sequence of events and the reason that I thought it was interesting because it's not only sort of applicable for the story itself of the game as far as we're relating it to mental health but it's also kind of the art style and the music and the way that it's made in the way like you can't die um and there's no fighting like it's very calm and um you just kind of walk through it and it's it's sort of a almost therapeutic i haven't played it i haven't had the chance to play it myself but watching just through half an hour of, of the playthrough it's very peaceful and there's a lot going on and there's there's obviously areas that isn't peaceful because it's talking about grief and how hard that is to deal with but there are small successes that the main character whose name is Gris, like is gray goes through so for example in the first little bit that i saw as she goes sorry i forgot to mention this earlier but as she goes basically like her dress develops like these extra abilities for her to get through obstacles so it kind of sounds weird in in words but in practice when you're actually watching the game or playing the game it makes sense and um at the beginning in the first sort of stage she her dress like develops this ability once she gets past a certain point to turn into like this rock like this kirby looking brick um that she turns into to fight against these really powerful winds that are blowing her backwards so she develops the ability to like sit where she is and sometimes walk slowly through the winds that are blowing her backwards and it's obviously very metaphorical but it's also like a, a dynamic yeah you're talking basically about like context sensitive gameplay where it, yeah. it enables that function and then you use it within the gameplay going forward yeah so that's kind of the the game that i looked at the soundtrack was done by berlinist it's entirely original which is fairly common for games it relates specifically to what's going on in the game too so for example when the winds start up again like the the music changes into this sort of aggressive like anxiety fueled music that's like really repetitive and there's like this piano and there's a part where she's like sliding down this hill out of control and there's this really like deep cello like low string moment that's really like oh, and then there's another part that sounds really <laughs> um like uplifting and you almost want to cry and you're like i've been watching this for 20 minutes and i'm already so invested in the story and there, like there is no story it's just like one person's adventure like um journey through literally grief so i thought it was a really interesting kind of indie game the developers um nomada and when you go to their stu like their website 
this is the only thing on their website. <laughs> There's no other games that they've that they're sort of associated with on their website right now. So I'm assuming that this is entirely indie. It's probably their debut. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was published in December of 2018, so it's fairly new. Um, again, following sort of the trend probably of games that deal with mental health and and that kind of thing. So sounds like actually a ton of similarities to the game that I looked at, which <laughs> makes a fabulous. <laughs> tie-in in terms of the conversation. Um, so after Michelle had gone and she found a list of games and, you know, I'd sort of talked to all four of you about choosing things, Celeste was actually left over, so I ended up looking at that game. Celeste is also a platformer. It is apparently a stinking difficult platformer. It's not really a long game, but it's very, very, not what I would necessarily call tedious because there's a lot of change within the gameplay, but it can be frustrating at times just because of the, the insane difficulty level of a lot of the levels. Definitely, like you need very, very quick reflexes to be able to go through. Hmm. I do not have very quick reflexes. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining you at home. So I watched it. <laughs> I did not play the game. Okay. <laughs> um, so Celeste is, uh, as I said, it's a platformer game. Uh, much like Gree, it's also uh, an indie game. Uh, it's basically two guys who basically programmed it together by the name of Matt Thorson and Noel Berry. Um, it does have a composer by the name of Lena Rain. And it originated out of one of these uh, weekend, like, let's program a game. Uh, activities they call it they call it a game jam so basically the idea was developed there and then there were enough people who were interested in having this thing as an actual game that the developers then went and fleshed out content the premise behind it is essentially you are a girl by the name of madeline and you're climbing a mountain so you arrive at the mountain and you meet a few characters there and everybody seems to question why you're doing this in the first place. And as you progress up the mountain, basically you start questioning your own ability to do it and you also start questioning why everyone else is trying to discourage you from doing this. And it really gets at ideas of a lot of the concerns that many of us have around self-confidence, uh, but also really gets into talking about how anxiety and depression affect the individual and talks about it in more of the sort of day-to-day -day kind of ways rather than really having it be a crisis moment. So the gameplay itself is you'll do like a level and then you'll find a character in the game and then there's dialogue that introduces at that point. It's not really a cutscene in the same way as a traditional cutscene because the background actually visually stays the same. You just get dialogue boxes introduced. But within that, really, you have these ongoing conversations about how you feel, whether you feel you're up to the challenge. And then partway through the game, there's this introduction of basically like the evil version of Madeline, where the evil version is trying to pick away at Madeline's self-confidence and is trying to sabotage her efforts to get up the mountain. There's a couple other characters she encounters. So she encounters Theo, who's basically a friend who helps her get through. She encounters an old woman at the beginning of the game who seems like it's somebody trying to deter her from going through with her goals, but in the end actually ends up providing some insight to her character. Uh, and she also meets a character by the name of Mr. Oshiro, who is this very eccentric hotel owner. And so it talks about sort of various facets of how people engage with one another and how that can feed into these conditions. There's some really interesting things I found about the music, and there's also some very interesting things I found about the gameplay and the visuals. The different levels are quite dramatically different in color schemes from one another, um, and very often those match the moods of what the character is at in various points of the game. There's also this metaphor of climbing a mountain and then going back down that actually is a, a metaphorical representation of when Madeline is positive about things and when she feels that she can't accomplish things. So once again, there's this sort of back and forth between those two extremes. Uh, and then there's also the idea of, does she accept this negative evil Madeline or does she reject that and go a different path with that? 
Musically, uh, there's a couple of things that recur throughout the game. Ostinato are actually the very, very major thing that I notice when listening. An ostinato is a repeating musical pattern, typically a pretty short length and typically with fast moving rhythms that happens usually in a bass line. Continuously in every single level, there's this repeating pattern that's very often in eighth notes or in a quicker rhythm. That's happening is it's essentially acting as harmonic foundation to the piece, um, but it's all and it's also articulating key. And it got me thinking about the fact that if they're going to be using ostinato so much, why? Like, what's the, the purpose of this thing? Because certainly a lot of game music does that, but not all game music does that. It's not something I would say is absolutely a definite feature of all, all video game music. And I got to thinking that it might actually be a representative of her own obsessive thoughts about herself. This idea that she's continuously like in her own head thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Much the same way that the ostinato is... There's this rhythmic component that almost sinks to thought process. I also thought a little bit about some of the harmonic stuff going on in the pieces, namely that a number of the pieces is kind of hard to tell what key they're in. There's this like lack of stability, lack of reinforcement of tonic function if we want to use the more music theory kind of approach to it. Um, and there's also a lot of lack of resolution. We don't arrive at scale degree one all that often in, in many of these pieces. There's very often a switch between major and minor as we're going from the more negative activities of the game to some of the more positive activities of the game. But that's not exclusive. In some sections that are meant to be very positive towards Madeline's character, it's actually minor mode in the background. So it sort of leaves you thinking, is this meant to be representative of something or is this just a cool sound that they they wanted to use. So that's basically my game. I have noticed some common threads on what we've been talking about. And so I'm going to read a few of them out. And if you think it's something you might want to comment on, please do so. It seems to be that a lot of our games are talking about using non-traditional sounds. I would say in mine, like a lot of it is, it really seems to be a contrast between stuff that is really, really acoustic piano focused versus stuff that is more digital, traditional video game kind of sound. So not a lot of like weirdo instruments. So I think mm -hmm. Andrew and Brooke, you've probably noticed that more in your games. Yeah. Well, mine, it's funny because I read an article on the eerie kind of like abrupt sounds, even though it's like, or like screaming, you'd hear screaming. And people said like that kind of music was more what she was comfortable with or what she knew. And to me, that's like, that's not something that sounds comfortable to me. So yeah. I'm just curious to like how that has to play with the mental health too, because you know, I found it very intriguing. And even though a lot of people said it wasn't an accurate depiction, I think for me, there is no accurate depiction. Everybody has something that's different. This is it. Everybody's condition is individualized. Exactly. Right? So, I mean, you can have a particular syndrome or condition and completely not match what people's stereotypes right. of that, that actually are. Right. Um, I, yeah, there are definitely moments where the soundtrack is focused on more traditional things like an orchestra or um, a cello. There's a lot of cello solo. When they were making string instruments, they were like, hmm, how can we make an instrument that sounds like the human voice? And then the cello has like the closest range to actually people's voices. So if you want to create an intimate human connection, like you use the cello. I actually had a question for you guys. So I'm curious first, when the text boxes are introduced in Celeste, yeah. is there any sound that's associated with the text box? Yeah, it's, I call it the Charlie Brown noise. Okay. <laughs> is it like the, like what I'm thinking of? Sort of like, yeah, okay, okay. Cute. So <laughs> I was hoping that there's some sort of noise associated with it because you mentioned that in Gree uh, there is no text at all yeah. and I'm assuming that there's no text noise at all. Yeah. Okay, so one of the biggest things about how we communicate mental health and how we actually can 
move past it or or work through it uh, is by talking to someone, right? So I find it very interesting that your game actually has text and yours definitely doesn't. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is that that's built into the narrative of Celeste as well. The narrative yeah. of Celeste really focuses on don't just internalize this thing, mm -hmm. talk to other people about it, own up to it, yeah. and mm -hmm. then use that to, to deal with your day-to-day -day experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, it's that's not intentionally, it's there to really talk about the experience. I think partly there's a difference between Elizabeth's and my game too, because yeah. hers is really about being voiceless, mine is about having a voice, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it is just her quietly dealing on it, like with it on her own. And whether that's like, she doesn't have anybody to talk to about it and it's her own personal journey or if it's like a choice or it's obviously not very clear and definitely open to interpretation for the person playing the game. Something similar in my game. It's a very different type of game. Like it's more of an action-y, adventure-y game, but she is by herself by the end. And I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but you realize at the end, it's very confusing, but it was in her head. She didn't actually go on this perilous journey. She was in the same spot, just imagining it. And by the end, there's some nice music and the sun's out. She's feeling better and the black stuff on her arm, the darkness has gone away. And I think that it's just like her mental process about trying to get out of this psychosis and like battling herself within and then going on this journey. But like, I think it can also be representative of what people with mental health do every day, getting to that point. And then once realizing that she's not alone and that she can ask for help and she can go somewhere and not have to worry about it. So something I'll pick up on related to this is that not surprisingly, most or all of these games are talking about representations of trauma as well or reactions to trauma, right? So Hellblade is talking about Senua's reaction to the traumatic event that she ended up yeah. experiencing. I have a question about that, actually, because yeah. you said, like, the whole journey was in her head. So how much of, like, the beginning of that story actually happens? Because at the end, the sun comes out or whatever. But is everybody still there, or did all of that actually happen? And then she There's just, nobody like, there. Like, like did her nothing. loved ones die? For real? Like, for, is... Yes. So she is dealing with grief, <laughs> and she already had some mental health issues, is okay. kind of what they alluded to, because she has these weird flashbacks in the dark, but you don't see anyone's faces. So it's in her head, and she's kind of, I think, morphing the situation as well, manipulating it to what she thought had happened. And the beginning of the game, basically, you are, you're in a boat, and the credits start rolling, and a voice starts playing, but it's not hers, it's in her head. And basically telling the story of Senua and basically being like this is what's happened and by the end she still has back up two steps she has his skull wrapped in a cloth the Dilia and her lover's skull and she keeps it with her at all times so at the end of the game when she realizes that you know this is all an illusion this was all the darkness is something that someone made up and told her she still has his head <laughs> so Clearly, something did happen, but I think that her mental health ramped up because of this grief and trying to deal with it, but also trying to deal with the fact that she thinks it was her fault because she was the one with this darkness or she wasn't there to save her village and to save her loved one. So it's very interesting. My game seems to use trauma as like the in-game thing, not the thing that prompted the narrative. Right. Um, so mine, because Celeste is much more about the day-to-day -day lived experiences of the character. They've essentially manifested many boss fights. But some of the mini boss fights you do, you actually intentionally lose. Like, there's no way to, to win it. You completing the level results in basically you falling off the mountain that mm. you're trying to climb. So it's like the, the win condition actually turns into a lose condition. 
Um, and it's interesting that there's this reversal of, you know, something which should be a positive all of a sudden becoming a negative. Once again, I think mm-hmm. it's trying to reflect the mental state of what's happening there, right? Where we may process something that should be a positive event as a negative event. Yeah. I was literally thinking along those lines as in like this sort of, you would hope that when you have some sort of a mental health condition that you're to try and improve it, you want a steady like increase to better and like a dip like that, right? Like intentionally losing a fight against someone or something like not, not necessarily intentionally, but in the design of the game. Winning the fight is losing the fight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Something I was going to say about that. It's funny because mine does almost exactly what you would anticipate for that. So like at the end of the game you die on purpose like there's no way you can actually win the fight you there's people like coming around you and you can fight off as many people like you could literally be there for hours if you were that good at the combat i don't know but like you eventually have to die to actually complete the game and then after that is kind of like that whole sunshine moment and i think that's just her being like i can't always do this by myself it is a moment of realization instead of reversal for you guys like you can't win and it's like oh i can't do anything so I don't, I don't know. It was just interesting that that's the way my game kind of approached it. But I wasn't expecting to like. Actually, I was very mad when I lost because I was like, <laughs> "No, my arm is like I'm gonna die soon, and I'm gonna not be able to continue the game." But then the game continued, and I was like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank God." There's really one thing about my game that's really different than any of the other three or four Sea of Sadness included is like because you can't die. Like there's no losing there's just like a progressive storyline and like that's also sort of in this case it's not necessarily a a mental illness that she has it's just dealing with a loss and like the stages of recovery through the loss and at the end of the game one of the quotes that i pulled from a review that i read was like it is a journey toward rediscovering the self and towards peace and so if you're feeling all of these overwhelming emotions and like learning to function on a normal level again, like through the process, it's really nice that there's no losing. Obviously, like there's like the winds that blow you backwards and like there's things like that. But then you find solutions and like you develop the ability to like weather, literally weather through the storm and, and keep going. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that aspect of it just because it says yeah. like, you know, like you, you can do this, like guarantee that you can do this. It just yeah. takes time. And like encouraging people to go on that journey themselves and there's no wrong in doing that. Mm-hmm. There's a weathering the storm level in Celeste as well. <laughs> well, I just use that phrase because there's literally winds that blow you back yeah, and you have to sit there and... It's exactly there. the same game mechanic in Celeste. I mean, the difference is it's not like a suit of rock that causes you yeah. to stay in one <laughs> position. In Celeste, you basically have to wait for the, the winds to slow down to continue on what you're doing. Right. And you have to find shelter while it's at first like you have to do that before you develop the ability to like sit where you are it blows you backwards and you kind of have to like hide behind obstacles or sit in front of obstacles Mm -hmm. to avoid getting blown backwards so one of the other distinctions that we've actually now identified is the difference between linear gameplay and non-linear gameplay mine is definitely linear yours is linear yeah i don't have that much choice so i think it's linear yeah like same here like you can't you can't really progress unless you do certain things and then no matter what you end up in the same spot so this is interesting because this is complete opposite to what michelle had noticed at the very beginning of the project she was talking about a lot of choices and like going different stories so okay i will retract my previous statement (laughs) okay mine is linear in a sense you can choose to 
um, be involved in conflict. You can choose to avoid the conflict. So in that sense, it's it's still linear though because the game still results. Is it geographically in the exact linear? Same way. Like you have to go. To yes, you still have to go through the same route. It's just how you get there. Yeah. So I think it's more linear than than anything else. It's interesting because I mean you're talking how you engage with people, right? Yes. Um, exactly. And you're saying I can choose whether to be direct. I can choose whether to be indirect. I can choose to deal with my problems or avoid my problems. When I was sort of like fleshing out ideas with people that I had, just like talking about things generally, um, one of the things somebody else mentioned was like Undertale and the concept of whether you can choose to be a good person or a terrible person, and like you can have different gameplay mechanics based on like your choices and like your guilt and like how you. Well, Undertale is an interesting one too because if you know nothing about the game going into it, you don't actually know that you're supposed yeah. to take the good route, right? Yeah. Like it's it completely flips the game mechanic yeah. compared to. Yeah. what you should do so like spoilers if you haven't played it yeah. the whole point is to like not beat people up yeah <laughs> unless you yeah, want to go through do. the entire game doing that but yeah and I you mean, don't it, have to and you can still get to the end and it's an adventure game so like your initial thought is starting this thing that you're like oh i gotta fight everything yeah <laughs> like you know i'm supposed to get a sword and i'm supposed to hack, hack and slash at things yeah. Like, yeah and it turns out you're actually supposed to like love people <laughs> i think for my game like it's super linear in the sense of like route because it's not open world. It's very much just a one path and yeah. one only path. But I think in the game, there's like some little like open spaces and you can choose which boss you want to go to first as long as you complete both. But I think it's also giving you the false sense of choice. And I, I don't know if that's intentional with Senua as well. Like she thinks she has choice in the matter and she has all this like control, but she doesn't. So I think whether it's metaphorical or just yeah. like yeah. how they made it. The exactly. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I mean a lot of games do it this way, right? Anything mm-hmm. that's a linear game is gonna it'll be the illusion of choice, but not actually true choice. Right, right. So I don't know if they intentionally did that or not, but I just thought it was interesting as we were chatting about choice and what kind of choices we have. So can you provide us with an example of some of the sounds that you found in the game you particularly liked? Yeah, I can start talking a little bit about Celeste. Fairly close to the beginning of the game, uh, there's a point where Celeste is working her way up the mountain. This is a general gameplay mechanic. Um, And she hits a point where basically she hits a barrier and then she's returned back down the mountain. What's really interesting about the music at this point is that the music does that exact same reversal of the path. Prior to this point, there's a pattern called an ostinato. In this particular case, the ostinato is the first four notes of a major scale that are going up repeatedly. What happens when Celeste hits that point in the mountain where she gets kicked back down is that that pattern reverses. So instead of getting four ascending notes, you now get four descending notes. An example in uh, Greed that I thought was really cool was during the sort of windy section of the first real main stage of the game that isn't sort of the tutorial section, there's some pretty nasty winds and the music is directly reflective of those winds. Um, The music starts to creep in as the winds start to take over on the page and the, the music picks up in pace. So prior to that, you're wandering around and there's a gentle solo piano Um, one note at a time kind of gentle calming piece of music and then the winds come in and they sweep in with this thick dense texture 
both in rhythm and harmony. So um, the beat divisions get really, really small. So the music is way faster and closer together. And then there's a layering of sound that doesn't exist prior to that on that level with organ and voice and a a synth sort of chord um, that just sits on the bottom with the winds there. So it's kind of overwhelming visually on the screen as well as audibly through the music. And so the general um, feeling that you get through the music is the anxiety and the stress of being pushed backwards by the wind. And then when the wind's clear, the music goes back to normal. I find this idea of depicting anxiety musically something that recurs in a lot of games. Uh, I found it Celeste when I was looking at it. Uh, it was particularly associated with her mental health, like we've talked about in the discussion so far. But it was also interacted with things that were more obviously anxiety producing, like, you know, boss fights, for example, or um, the idea of being chased at a particular point. To add on to that, the one thing I actually found interesting in the music from uh, Hellblade was the combat music. This is represented or manifested in Viking music or this like growling like Viking singer. And this is also something that she's very constantly aware that she's afraid of because the Vikings killed her family and her village. So not only is this something that I think that she's internally processing and It's supposed to symbolize her fear and the loud drumming representing her heartbeat, but it's also like, yeah, the Vikings are evil people in this sense, and and that's what she thinks, and so therefore we think that as well. Does the music in your game um, with the Viking voices, does that come before you see the Vikings? Like, does it appear and like as a warning? So the the battles that actually, like the combat in the game, they almost look like apparitions that come like this kind of like smoke or gray dark stuff. And all of a sudden, as soon as you see the enemy, it immediately switches to that. It immediately switches to the drumming and then this low growly voice of this um, man that's singing in uh, Norwegian. Yeah, and that's a very common phenomenon in game, this immediate association of sounds with Mm -hmm. characters or sounds with these particular circumstances. Um, There's an example uh, in Celeste, for example, uh, when Celeste starts to become chased by one of the characters within the game, the music moves to double time. So it's twice as fast as what it was previously. It also gets a lot more dense. In other words, there's a lot more instruments happening at the same time. The two things in combination really produce that sense of change of scene. Immediate change of scene and immediate change of what you are doing action-wise as a character. And I think that it sounds like that's happening in Hellblade as well. Mm -hmm. I was only asking because in Gree, the music starts just before you see the visuals of the wind. So it creates the sense of anxiety that, oh no, this thing is coming before you even see it. And I just thought that was interesting and I was wondering if it was the same. So is it like a musical foreshadowing? Yeah, but it's almost immediate. Like it, it just starts really, really quietly and then builds louder as the winds get more aggressive, but it cuts in just before you start to see them. So I don't know, as a player, it's you know it's coming and then you start to get stressed out about it. Brooke, I wonder if you're seeing any musical foreshadowing in your game. 
yes and no. I think that in the kind of softer music that you play while you're exploring the game kind of foreshadows Senua's situation in the sense that I feel like the music is altered in some way and it seems a bit off from what we perceive as normal music or something that is uh, continuous. Whereas this, there's kind of like abrupt sounds or disturbances, whispering and so on and so forth constantly throughout that I think that this is foreshadowing or at least making the player realize that this is how Senua thinks and that she's not entirely there herself and that her reality is distorted and therefore this music is playing into that. And I think that it's harder to know at the beginning of the game because you obviously are just starting out. But when you continue throughout the game, you're like, oh, this isn't just a starting out thing. It, it continues on and it's a common theme within the game. Yeah, I find that whispering to actually be an interesting trope element because we know this from horror films in particular. We know that whispering is very often associated with a sense of creepy and a sense that something ominous is going to happen. It happens in Hellblade. It actually also happens in Celeste. And in that particular case, the, it's added at a very, very low dynamic level. So it's almost like you're subconsciously hearing it rather than consciously hearing it. That's really cool. Um, and really it's it's reflecting the sort of the instability of mental health you know it's trying to get across that idea that despite you know the game is maybe not creepy uh, Celeste is actually very bright primary colors it can be aggressive sometimes but this is its way of really sort of playing against what's happening graphically to show a sense of creepy that's happening and it's really associated with a number of other things that we tend to connect with horror so in Celeste uh, the particular example I'm thinking of really has a, a big church music or organ vibe to it it tends to have a lot of what are called suspensions which are notes that are held over into chords where they don't belong longer held notes and really smooth textures and these uncomfortably long musical notes uh, which would be very characteristic of organ textures I'm curious to know with, you know, with talking about how the characters seem to be feeling in a lot of this, if anybody actually felt that the music made them almost empathize with the character more or perhaps understand the character more, or even if it almost triggered like, oh man, that, you know, I was thinking when you were talking about the wind in Gree coming and how it almost just slowly came out of nowhere but then it was very present and it created this atmosphere of anxiety I think for a lot of people you know I wouldn't want to speak for everyone I can speak for myself when I've had anxiety before it that's often how it almost comes about is it it feels like all of a sudden you're aware that it's there and then it's very much present and I you know I'm curious to know whether or not anyone felt more connected to the character and whether or not you know you you actually felt that you could sit there and go like, oh man, I empathize with this character more or I feel more sympathetic or understanding of what they're at least experiencing right now. Yes, for me, this was uh, 
This is quite the journey for myself playing this game. It is very emotional. Uh, at the very beginning of the game, they recommend that you actually wear headphones because the voices that you hear throughout the game actually sound like they're coming from your own head if you put in headphones. And so you feel like you're actually Senua on this journey. And what happens is as the game progresses, a lot of the music kind of, it alters, but it also stays somewhat consistent. So there's the bat, like the battle music, and then there's like the atmospheric kind of eerie music. And then when she has these flashbacks, it's like the one glimpse of like happiness or like this feeling of joy when she dreams of her lover that was killed and like him trying to fault, like help her through this journey. And it's, it's not even just about her trying to act on revenge, it's also about her grieving and trying to accept herself as she is. And like, I think that's something really relatable to everybody. Some They can relate to it on some sort of level. Throughout the game, it kind of develops and I felt like I was growing with her. And like, I know that a lot of people, when they play this game, they have a hard time with it because it's supposed to depict psychosis in a very accurate way because they had these like doctors work on the game with it. Some people say it's not, some people say it does, but whether or not it does or doesn't, like it has an effect on people in a certain way. And I think that it was very powerful playing this game. In that same track, I guess, on the soundtrack called Perseverance with All the Wind, actually, interestingly, at the very end, so after she develops this power to turn into this block that I mentioned a little bit ago, she's able to like walk through the winds and they don't push her backwards anymore. And when she gets finally gets that power, there's like one last big gust of wind that you have to keep walking through. You can't just sit and wait for it to go away. It doesn't go away. But once you walk, the music completely changes and it goes to this shift of this like, again, really rich orchestral sort of sound that, I don't know, for me, even watching it, not even playing it, but just watching it, I felt this like immense relief and all of the stress and anxiety of walking through it, suddenly I was so proud that she like made it through this area and like stuck it out and she'd gone through it. And I feel like directly correlating to the idea of mental health and anxiety and stress, like you finally get through something and it's just overwhelming how good and like relieving it is. Did the music itself in that final gust of wind, was there a lot of suspension or were there certain things that were basically resolved also musically when you got to that big moment? I don't know about, I don't know about resolved, but definitely the really fast paced, like the 30 second note divisions, they completely like vanished. They disappeared. Um, as the wind was going away, they decrescendo, they quiet and, and fade out and leave. And then it's just the underneath the synth and the organ like the big long pedal tones and they just kind of sit there and then they change i assume resolve <laughs> based on just the audio changing completely into something that's relaxing as opposed to full of tension i haven't looked at those chords specifically but it definitely changes and all of the fast-paced rhythmic density just disappears yeah, no, I was just curious because I haven't, I haven't heard the particular soundtrack, but or I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if 
within that final gust of wind, there was all this tension built. And then part of what you're actually feeling in that moment as a player of the resolution taking place is also being paralleled in the music itself, even without us even probably paying attention to it. Yeah, that definitely happens in Celeste. When you reach the top of the mountain, all of a sudden the music calms down, the rhythmic activity is significantly slower, and it becomes major mode instead of minor mode. What I found interesting in, in Celeste, though, was that oftentimes the music I actually felt was a bit disconnected from what was happening in the narrative. The narrative, and particularly the dialogue, does a really, really good job, I think, of depicting anxiety in particular, and really sort of identifying the components of self-doubt and sort of like over-magnification of bad things happening that tends to be associated with anxiety, but the music very often ended up having more of like a retro 90s feel, which worked in some places when it was very action-based, but I found when they were trying to make the dramatic moments wasn't as good a, of a fit. And do you think that's because you weren't uh, a kid in the 90s? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, I'm, like, I think they're trying to achieve the retro sort of nostalgia effect, but I think at the same time they're trying to achieve it at moments that maybe go against the emotional narrative of the game as well. It works in some places, and particularly that like tension relaxation thing that I just talked about, it, it works very effectively in, but there are some level um, themes where it's really about fast-paced, and they're trying to get across the idea that you have to move quickly through the level and you can't stop to think, mm -hmm. but at the same time they're undermining the storyline in terms of the player's mental state. So it's like, what do the game designers do? Do they go with the fast action to mirror what's happening in the the level design or do they go with the overall arch of the narrative you know hmm. it's a choice it's a choice that they they had to make one way or the other andrew what about your musical findings in the last of us so all gone no escape starts playing when the final battle with ellie takes place it's a solo cello piece with a very sparse sense of sound little accompaniment and tries to encapsulate the emotion of taking someone's life away as well as the fact that joel and ellie are finally connecting it's similar to Gree, as Elizabeth mentioned, with the voices being very sparse. And this is very similar to the solo cello. Okay, any final thoughts or ideas, sentiments that anybody wants to share about their experience playing these games? At least for me, when playing this game and then playing other games afterwards, that you can find a lot of hints at mental health in video games, whether they're intentional or not and it's becoming more of a common thing, which I think is really cool and bringing awareness. I was just thinking that I really love Gree just for the fact that it goes through the story of loss and grief, but then also anxiety, but then recovery. And like the part that I like the most is that it's so calm for most of the time. And then there's small areas that fuel anxiety and, and stress. And then there's always resolution and you can just count on the resolution. And I love the sentiment that that has and I love the reflection that that has on mental health and the journey through it and the idea like that it will get better and it might be super intense right now but there's another side to it and when you get there like you know and it's wonderful. I actually would maybe argue the opposite about my game. Um, one of the things I really loved about Celeste was its approach to the fact that your mental health issue is actually a part of who you are and sometimes it's not a matter of moving through it because it's a, actually a lifelong journey. Uh, or a lifelong struggle that you're going to deal with. So the game really, the fundamental plotline, is talking about how to come to terms with those things. 
And to me, that's a really positive message. And it's a message that I think has been missing from a lot of a lot of media in the past, uh, because this is the reality of what a lot of us are, are dealing with, is that this will be a lifelong journey. And this is something that we're going to have to continuously engage with. You know, we can make these into these narratives that have goals and have bosses and have endpoints. But, you know, this is only one way of reflecting what's happening in life. You know, it's, it's turning experiences into art form, which I think is ultimately arguing for video games really emerging as a distinct art form rather than purely being seen as a mode of entertainment. Okay, well, I think that's all the time we have today. I know we've all learned a lot from our own research about mental health and video games. And for those of you listening in, we really hope that maybe we've helped to bring more light to such an important subject for you as well. Thanks for listening. This is Game Music 101. For more information on our research, you can find us on Facebook and check out our website, gamemusic101.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.